Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur. Hi there and welcome to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is Colin Bell, PhD, co-founder, co-inventor, and chief growth officer at For Grocentia. Colin received his PhD in 2009 in soil microbial ecology. His academic research was focused on understanding plant microbial interactions and soil microbial biogeochemical cycling. As a research scientist at Colorado State University, his many peer-reviewed publications were centered on elucidating microbial-mediated processes that enhance plant growth. Colin left his academic position at CSU in March of 2015 to launch his startup company, Grosentia. Their first product, Mammoth P, is a beneficial bacteria bloom stimulant that targets phosphorus cycling to maximize both quality and yield in cannabis plants. Today, we're going to talk about making the leap from academic to entrepreneur. Thanks for being on the show, Colin. Thanks, Shingo. How's it going? Oh, it's going really great. I'm excited to have you on the show because, you know, a lot of people are doing one thing and they really in their heart wish they were doing something else, specifically being an entrepreneur. And I'm excited to talk about the travel that you've taken so that maybe it inspires some others. So let's get started by kind of like really cementing you in the academic world. What were you doing at CSU and, you know, kind of steep us in that a little bit. Yeah, great. So I'll start, like you said, I received my PhD in soil microbial ecology in 2009 after doing a couple of postdocs with um, the USDA and the Forest Service in Fort Collins, Colorado. I achieved my third postdoc at Colorado State University working with my team, uh, Matt Wallenstein and Rich Konit, who are also co-founders with Grosentia. And after a couple of years, I got promoted to research science, so research scientist one, where the whole time in my whole academic career and my graduate career also, was focused on understanding plant microbe interactions and understanding nutrient cycling, like we said, to kind of understand how plants and microbes have evolved together and how, how microbes might benefit plants in light of climate change or anything else to help promote their growth and their success. So, you know, we um, just did that. That was kind of my dream to be an academic research scientist at the Natural Resource Ecology Lab at Colorado State University. And we were very successful there for years. And one day, kind of how it came about is we decided that all the publications that our team had been pushing out, which is many, many, we questioned the impact we were making in, in academia. We always felt that our research would really help agriculture in general and improve agriculture sustainability and you know our technology ultimately or our knowledge and our publications that we provide to the scientific community would translate to improved, you know, management practices for more sustainable natural ways for plants to grow to improve yield to feed you know the globe the growing population in the world thinking that you know one day as out of all the papers and all the grants that we wrote and we have this 
broader impact statement that all the grants require. And we talk about how, you know, our research is going to impact agriculture and farmers and help farmers grow better. We kind of came to the realization that farmers probably weren't reading our publications. As a matter of fact, I validated that, you know, and we decided that to be higher impact scientists, we should start focusing more on applied problems to try and get our technology in the hands and in the form that farmers could use in this lifetime. So that's when we kind of switched the lab, flipped the lab, started thinking about problems and thinking about applying our knowledge into making something that could be applied into agriculture practices. So reshaped the lab, started thinking about it from the perspective of a soil microbial ecologist and what microbes do well and how to produce that and scale that. And you know what microbes do do well is cycle nutrients and provide nutrients to plants, among other things. And that's why plants and microbes have evolved together basically since the beginning of time. So before we get too much into talking about the the product itself, I want to talk about the lab a little bit because, you know, you're talking about being within academia at that point. And do you have, I mean, I'm sure that there's a fine line between, okay, you are doing the research under the auspices of the school, but then there's a certain point where, where suddenly you are actually becoming a business, which is, I don't know, not usually the role of what the school is looking for because they're often going for pure research. I could be wrong. Maybe school's now are actually trying to roll out these products. How did you skirt that line between running your lab as a research lab versus coming to preparations to put a product onto the market? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, the the truth is, you know, even a decade ago, universities were focused on basic research and that's kind of the structure and the infrastructure truly is still like that. But there's a great push and a much improved emphasis on actually launching technology from the lab into the marketplace. And so I think it was helpful. And most most universities now have tech transfer departments that focus specifically on helping researchers understand how to bridge that gap between the scientific lab and the marketplace. I think there's definitely a lot of work to do and a lot of progress to be made, but there has been a lot of progress made certainly in the last decade. How we did that really is working with our tech transfer department at Colorado State University and going through some rigorous incubators, uh, business incubators. For example, the NSF I-Corps program accepted us as a a team. And the NSF I-Corps program is a brilliant program developed by the, the national government, the NSF, to help researchers understand specifically that, how to identify the value of the technology that they're developing potentially in the lab and what it takes to launch that into a marketplace. And so that was a rigorous training based on lean startup methodologies of Steve Blank and some others, where we basically treated this exercise like an experiment. And we had these hypotheses of value, and we had these hypotheses of customer segments. And the way we validated that is we hypothesized there was particular value for whatever product. Our particular product was you know, enhancing nutrient uptake to plants that ultimately enhance yield. And we had to, at early stage, and we were very naive going into this, assuming that farmers would buy this type of product. And the exercise is, okay, if you think you have a value and you think, you hypothesize you have a customer segment, what you should do now is go talk to 100 of those customer segment archetypes, farmers in this case, to validate if you're right or not. 
And it sounds so, like you're actually making a uh, almost like your own focus group. You're making your hypothesis, and I love hearing you know basic marketing repeated to me in lab speak. I'm enjoying this a lot. But also, you would then go out and and talk to your hundred subjects, and then you would be building up your own database specific to your own product. That's exactly right. What we're trying to do is validate the value propositions that we think our product would bring to market. And through that process, it was just invaluable because we realized very quickly where we were wrong and we realized very quickly what the value was with any particular agriculture market segment that our product would need to meet to be a successful product to launch into the marketplace. For example, if you talk to, you know, producers in the larger agro space such as corn farmers and wheat farmers, etc., you know, no matter what you think your product does to enhance the environment, et cetera, because we were, we were, you know, kind of thinking about our product from an ecological standpoint also. It's a natural microbial additive that improves uh, nutrient use, but also would allow us to potentially minimize inputs, uh, which are sometimes caustic to the environment, such as excessive fertilizer, et cetera. And we didn't emphasize yield as a value proposition early on in our discovery. And what we realized is that was the only thing almost that mattered to be able to successfully launch our, our product into the marketplace because that was the, the key value proposition for most agriculture market segments. I would think that that is actually probably one of the reasons that you've had so much success early on. And we'll talk more about the success of the product in a minute, but specifically the fact that, you know, many entrepreneurs will come up with the idea, they'll be passionate about it, and then they'll go to the market with what their hunch is. But because you came at it as an academic scientist, you're like, well, I wouldn't go to the market before I test my hypothesis. And so you created your own study by going out and talking to these hundred farmers, which got gave you all this new focus group information, which becomes your new evidence. I would think that if most entrepreneurs would do that in their own way, we'd see a lot less failing companies. That's exactly right. It's called the lean startup approach. And that's exactly what I think you should do. And I think you nailed it. Most startups fail because they haven't rigorously validated the value and or the customer segments that need that value. You know, what we look for is pain points. What can that customer not live without? And if your product can fill that pain point, you know, you definitely have a successful product, but you have to validate it. Thanks, Colin. We're going to take a short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gondrepreneur will return. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. 
mentions the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on CannabisRadio.com. And don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well. But words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus Show. Live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shangolos, and our guest this week is Colin Bell of Grossentia. So, Colin, before the break, we were talking about your background in academia and how deeply you were involved as a research scientist and that how the research that you were doing was going to help farmers but you weren't sure how the farmers were going to find out about it. And so you shifted your research into going past just developing what the farmers could do and figuring out how to get your research into the hands of farmers by way of a product, possibly. So that brings us to where we are now. So the first product that Crocentia has put out is the Mammoth Pea. Can you tell us what is unique about this product that caused you in academia to go, hey, wait a minute, this is something new and this could actually do good? Sure, yeah. So we, we are really excited about Mammoth P and you know, early on and, and still we were really excited about the technology because it's so unique and the way we were thinking about developing a new microbial biostimulant product to enhance plant growth was just something that no other company or any other lab for that matter has come up with. And what we wanted to do was target functionality at the microbial community level. We wanted to work with microbial communities because we know in nature, microbial species just don't persist. They have to persist and function at the community. And what we also wanted to do was train functionality for specific nutrient cycling. That way we thought over time we could actually prescribe different microbial inoculants to treat certain deficiencies of nutrients such as phosphorus or nitrogen. Our first product, Mammoth P, is a microbial community that specifically targets phosphorus, which means it liberates phosphorus as it's bound in soil and substrates, which happens naturally almost immediately once phosphorus is added into soil, potting mix, and it even chemically transforms into plant unavailable forms in hydroponic systems. And so we were able to train using our proprietary uh, microbial trait selection platform to train microbial communities to increase their ability to cycle phosphorus by up to 30 times greater than any natural communities that we found in nature. So to put it in my own terms, what it sounds like is phosphorus is going to be naturally occurring in the soil, but there are challenges for uptake for the plant. So what you have done is you've put together a community of specially chosen microbes that when you introduce them to the soil, they do the job of unhinging the phosphorus from wherever they're tied down to become more bioavailable for your plant. So your plant is able to thrive with more phosphorus because it's so much easier for it to get it out of the bone in the soil. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, I think that's very well said. Nice job there. And that's exactly what it is. We find that, you know, the plants are able to take up a lot more phosphorus with our additive, which enhances the plant's ability to improve their bloom or yield, no matter what that plant might be. In the case of cannabis, it actually translocates phosphorus and micronutrients to higher levels than the plant could without our inoculum, enhancing bloom growth in the density and the quality of the flower. 
I have a feeling that your answer to this next question is going to be over your head, but I w- I'm dying to hear the answer anyway. So I would love to hear you contrast how phosphorus is normally taken from the plant, what that process is like compared to when you use your microbial communities. So it kind of illustrates for us the difference, the value proposition of why the microbial works so much better. Yep. So, and processes, and you know, we identified this problem actually in natural agriculture soils, which is a prolific problem across the country. When farmers add phosphorus fertilizer to soils, up to 70% becomes almost immediately unavailable to plants because phosphorus binds, it's chemically sticky to minerals and carbon substrates alike. So phosphorus will immediately transform once it hits a substrate into plant unavailable forms. And it's a really unique and interesting ecological problem because farmers really need, uh, of all crops, really need plants to take up as much phosphorus as possible because across all crops, phosphorus is in high demand, especially during the yield or flower cycles of the plant. Over time, the phosphorus will continue to build up. We're talking, let's just talk about agroecosystems right now for up to two decades where the exchange sites will keep on getting stuck with these phosphates, which is a plant available form of phosphorus until over time, the soil saturates and then flushes through the environment and creates huge ecological problems like algal blooms that we see quite often, uh, polluting mm-hmm. waterways, etc. What this microbial community does is we've improved their capabilities to solubilize, which means exchange those phosphorus molecules that were bound to the soil back into the solution in the plant available form, phosphate, PO4, which allows the plant to take up as much phosphorus as possible, mining those phosphoruses as their phosphates, as they're bound to soils and substrates alike. This happens in even in hydroponic systems and prolifically in cocoa and peat and soil systems as well. Great. I followed that. So I want to change gears for a second here. Now that we understand the importance of the product and why you were so excited to make the jump from academia to the entrepreneurial side, tell us a little bit about how you chose to then actually form the company. I mean, I'm holding a bottle of your product in my hand and it is gorgeous. The design is great. The copywriting is great. You know, whoever, you know, laid out your, your branded colors. I mean, it's an incredible branded experience, which, you know, you really don't see all that much in the cannabis industry yet, or, or maybe we are just now starting to. So, you know, you must have put some work into building the idea of the company around the product that you were feeling jazzed about. That's right. I think, you know, what I have to emphasize for sure is nothing happens alone. We have a wonderful team helping us in every area of our business. Not only do I have wonderful and brilliant co-founders, but, you know, we hired a CEO that flew all the way from Chicago to be with us here in Fort Collins, Colorado, that's that's grown many startups from the very beginning to multi-hundred million dollar companies. We have a great team on the ground in all our packaging production, and we talk about branding and marketing. We have consultants here local in Fort Collins, Colorado that helps us with our social media, and another one, Push IQ, Chris Richardson, that helps us with our branding. We also have a great list of external advisors, including the CEO of New Belgium and a former employee of theirs, Greg Osley, which actually branded the new Belgium fat tire brand from their early days, which helped them be a very, very successful global company. So really, 
I didn't do anything by myself. I surrounded myself and our ideas. We, we all want to be the dumbest person in the room. If we're that, then we can really bring talent around the table to help us come up with these great ideas. What we want to do for this is own our, you know, our culture. We're a scientific, highly technical company. The three co-founders, including myself, are PhD soil microbiologists. My other two co-founders are still faculty at Colorado State University. And we wanted to be distinguished in every way we possibly could. We felt that clean brand, the white label with the mammoth, which is super iconic, really stood out and really kind of illustrated who we were as a company. So, you know, it is a good thing to surround ourselves with the people who are smarter than us when we're building a company. The group that you have pulled together is pretty extraordinary, though. So I'm curious, were these people that were already in your network because you were naturally a networker as an academic? Or is it just that all these people are smart enough to live in Fort Collins, Colorado? Or is this something that people were attracted into your sphere of influence because of the incubator? I think a little bit of everything. You know, we didn't have these people in our lives before we started Grosentia, but what we do do is reach out to a lot of people. We present people with good opportunities. I think, you know, people see a good thing. The good thing that we've done with Grosentia, and it's basically create a really interesting product in a very, very interesting market. And, you know, we have a, some really compelling values. Not only do we have a wonderful product, but we have a wonderful platform that allows us to create a family of products. And not only are we in this wonderful, very exciting market, which is, you know, projected to do just amazing things, and we're at the very base of something that, you know, we think we can we can grow with the cannabis market as it, as it grows, and that's very exciting. But, you know, our product is very well positioned to bring value into other markets too. And so, you know, that that kind of started also with our investors, M34. We were able after three incubators to bring on an, an early seed investment, which allowed us to launch the company. And that's when I left the university in March of 2015 to start the company. And, and like I said, we have a great story. I mean, my son and I found an old transmission shop here in Fort Collins, Colorado. We we cleaned it out. We painted it. We mopped the floors, you know, 30 times and turned it into our bio production facility. You know, <laughs> before that, you know, I was working out of my one-car garage that I quickly scaled out of after my first, you know, shipment of bottles came and two pallets got dropped in my driveway and blocked the cars from coming in. So, you know, it was really lean startup. I think we're really compelling. Our team's obviously very compelling. And we're all a driven group that wants to have a lot of fun and do great things. Right on. We're going to take another short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gonjapreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gonjapreneur will return. Gonjapreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. 
educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shangolos, and our guest this week is Colin Bell of Grossentia. So in the last segment, we were talking about specifically the uh, Grossentia's first product, Mammoth P, and why it is unique, and more importantly, why it caused Colin to decide to leave academia to become an entrepreneur and back it up. So one of the things I really enjoyed when you were talking about bringing your product to market, Colin, was, was the interesting way you used Lean to go out into the field and make sure your customers wanted your product before you went to the trouble of bringing the product to market. And when I was hearing that, it also made me wonder how you, as a research scientist, approached life-work balance. Because just like many entrepreneurs would go to market with a product that they haven't actually market tested yet, they're going really on passion and intuition and luck. You didn't go that way. You wanted data, hard data, before you took your product to market. Well, how do you handle work-life balance, right? Because, because I have a feeling that you might have you know, schematics drawn up to help you do that. Such a great question, and it's such an incredible challenge, especially for myself. And I think, I think for most of us in academia, you know, we're such a driven team and driven individuals. And I think getting your PhD and going through that process uh, kind of weeds out the people that aren't just kind of really obsessively driven to push, push, push. Saying that, you know, what I realized, especially after I left the lab and left academia and started the startup, was there's never enough hours in the day. And if you don't take time for yourself, no one else will. And that's really unsustainable. And so what I've made it a goal. And it's really a professional goal that we write out, you know, every year, every quarter if we're not accomplishing it to make sure not only we're accomplishing our benchmarks and our goals professionally and internally with Grossentia, but that we have a whole list of personal goals and needs that we meet on a regular basis also. For me personally, you know, and, and my whole team, especially the co-founders, we love to ride our bikes. I personally like to run. We try to stay fit. Fort Collins is a nice environment to do that for sure. And that's what I really do. You know, I incorporate, I'm kind of a boring guy. I work a lot and I work out a lot and then I just try and have some downtime and I'm trying to balance all those things. But I need friends, I need family, I need fitness. I definitely need success in every area of my life and that's in all my relationships. That's with work. And ultimately, if I'm happy, I've succeeded and all these things in my life make me happy and fulfill me. And so that's what I do. I could just keep on doing that. 
You know, a couple shows ago, we had on Tom Burns. He's a business philosopher who started as a yogi and is now in the cannabis business. And he says, you know, first you feel good and then you do good. There's a lot of that in what you just said. And, you know, I also think it helps with working all the extra hours that you almost always have to do with a startup since fitness is one of your key things. So many entrepreneurs, they get busy. Suddenly they're not eating properly and they're not getting their exercise. So not only are they pushing their bodies harder with more stress and more awake time, but then they're also not feeding the body what it needs. I would think that having a fitness regimen that you actually share with your coworkers so you're being supported in it, that's probably a really great secret to success. I think so. I mean, I feel the success whenever we can do that. And actually, we have daily squat jumps and push-ups and pull-ups as a team in the lab where, where we'll have 10 <laughs> people or 15 people in the back of the production facility. Okay, we'll yell, all right, it's time. And, you know, we have monthly goals where we up that and we have a bunch that we're all jumping around doing our squat jumps and push-ups. And, but you know what? We all enjoy it. And it just makes us feel better. It gets the blood flowing and, you know, a, a sense of camaraderie and, and progress, right? Oh, man, this interview is going to get you so many job inquiries. It's ridiculous. It sounds like a great place to work. Sure. So I want to hit one more thing. We're, we're almost out of time here. But one of the things that I don't know anything about, like, for example, I wasn't too deep when you talked about the university having a tech transfer department. That's pretty cool. That's, that's a new thing since, since I left school. So, so what happens with the income? Since you came up with the ideas at the school in the research lab, do they get a part of it? Or, or is it just they like to have the reputation? of having of spinning off new technologies and businesses how does that work yeah so that's a kind of a big conversation but in brief and it's in most yeah, universities can you do it in 90 to, seconds <laughs> yeah yeah so universities if you develop technology at the university the university actually owns that technology and so as a research scientist that developed the technology that launched into the marketplace i had to license the technology and we did successfully from the university and the university gets part ownership in that technology for sure we went ahead and, and patented that technology so we could protect it in the marketplace and we launched it so this colorado state university is is a true partner with us in this process being the owner of the technology future technology you know as you launch your company and you're in the private sector you're going to develop more technology, which you would probably own as a company. And that's the path that most people will follow whenever they actually launch a company. And they're at one point separated from the university, autonomous, if you will. Right on. Well, for being a really big topic, you actually distilled that business model really simply. So thank you for that. That's really interesting. And that's sure. also all the time that we've got today. Colin, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and sharing your experience. I'm sure that you have inspired a lot of people to consider making a jump. Uh, it was a pleasure. It was really fun to be here. And thank you very much for having me. You can find out more about Colin Bell and Mammoth P at their website, mammothmicrobes.com. M-A-M-M-O-T-H-M-I-C-R-O-B-E-S.com. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. You can also find the show on the iHeartRadio network app, bringing Gontrepreneur to 60 million mobile devices. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Thanks to Brasco for producing our show. I'm your host, Shango Lewis.
opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.